Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. We have one of our special guests with us today, and uh, somebody that many of you guys may have met a year or two ago, and uh, it's Jacob Lears and his family, at least part of his family is here with us today, and I, it's going to be an introduction for some of you, it's going to be kind of a, a report for some of you guys who remember that they were here with us before they left, they went to go uh, plant and, and start a new work in Djibouti, which I think is just fun to say, uh, So, and, and, and he'll share more about that, and so would you guys give it up for Jacob Lears as he comes up? and shares what's going on. All right, buddy. Uh, thank you for having me back. It's a good sign, right? And it's third service, so that means we get to speak as long as we want, right, Pastor? Like, double, double sermon Sunday. No, I, I've been in Africa for a year and a half. I'm, I'm more excited about lunch than you are. So, uh, yeah, so uh, Jacob Lears again, uh, my family. Uh, we have part of us here. We took a partial contingency, but... Uh, my beautiful wife, Teresa, on the front row, uh, and then we have five children, and I'll definitely name them this service because two of them are listening, but uh, Josiah is 12, Isaiah is 10, Elijah 8, uh, Avalyn is 6, and Rosalind is 4. Yeah. I, yeah, so we staggered them just the way we planned. Boy, 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 girl, girl, just the way we planned it all, right? Uh, about five years ago, God called our family to go into missions to share the gospel um, in some unreached places, some dark places that there is no gospel. Um, so we, we began a process of, of getting rid of everything we owned. We, we, we sold everything down to two suitcases each because that's what you can take on an airplane. Uh, we got rid of our cars. We got rid of our house. Uh, kind of left our family and our friends uh, temporarily to, to, to jog around the world. And in five years, we've lived in over two dozen places on three continents and five countries. Um, but by the grace of God, he's given us a location to settle down. Uh, so we are now in Djibouti. So if you don't know where Djibouti is, now you do. And it's good to know where Djibouti is. Uh, see how many Djibouti jokes we can slip in? Service. They'd never get old. But uh, So Djibouti here, we're in the northeast corner of Africa. Uh, we're surrounded. Uh, our neighbors are Yemen, Somalia, Eritrea, and Ethiopia. Uh, so we're in a rough neighborhood uh, there's a, Open Doors does a Christian persecution index, so the toughest places to be a Christian. And our neighbors are number 3, 7, 11, and 18 on that list. Uh, we're 28, I believe, so we're, we're a, little, a little better. But we're a very tiny nation, just surrounded um, basically by a lot of chaos, a lot of conflict. Um, but, but God's put us there for a reason. And, and it's funny because a lot of times when I tell people where we're at, one of the first questions is, is it safe? You know, it's kind of a quick, uh, especially, you know, my grandmother, my family, they ask that pretty quickly, but people in the church even. Uh, and I was just reading in Scripture just this week, uh, Matthew 16, and I hadn't related to it, but as soon as I read it, it, it kind of struck right in with that. And it's Peter, who's one of Jesus' core disciples, one of his best friends. He lives with this man for a few years now, and Jesus is starting to talk about his crucifixion telling him that, hey, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and some bad things are going to happen. So Peter, thinking he's responding out of love, says, no, let's not do that. Let's not go to Jerusalem. Let's not, let, let Jesus, but this can't happen. I won't let you die like this. 
And uh, he was concerned for Jesus' safety. And Jesus' response to Peter was, Get thee behind me, Satan! <laughs> said, this, said this to one of his best friends, you know. And, uh, and, and really what Jesus goes on to explain is, yeah, I understand you're worried about my safety, but you're, you're thinking in the human, in the flesh, in the earthly, in the temporal. And I'm thinking in the heavenly. And there's something bigger going on here. And, and, and that's how our family feels is we're not in the safest place in the world, but, you know, when you're in the center of God's will, that's the safest place in the world. And, and whatever we do, it, it's worth it. And I want to introduce you to a friend of mine, Momin. Uh, Momin grew up in Yemen as a Muslim. Uh, and uh, Yemen broke out in a civil war about three years ago, and it's just been devastated. There's no electricity or running water right there, and they're there now, and just refugees pouring out of that country into the surrounding nations. Uh, and he, he was one of those. He became a refugee. Him and his brother decided to flee. They were going to try to find a job somewhere so they could support their family from abroad. Uh, they got in a small boat and decided to cross uh, the Red Sea uh, to get to us in Djibouti. Uh, and a storm uh, an epic storm rose up and started throwing that little boat around. And uh, sound a little biblical yet? Well, boats and storms, kind of a recurring theme. And uh, he was scared. He, you know, he was already scared because he was leaving the country, leaving his family, 19-year-old kid, for the first time. And uh, just cried out to God that he wasn't even sure if he believed in anymore and said, God, why am I on this boat on my way to Djibouti? And uh, it didn't take long. He gets to Djibouti within a week. Uh, he flees the refugee camp, makes it into Djibouti City where we are, hears the gospel and, and accepts it and, and takes Christ as his Lord and Savior. So, so Momin was a friend. He's actually now a brother of all of ours, and, and we're excited to report that. And uh, we've had two other Muslims come to know Jesus in this last year. And, uh, yeah, we're just pouring into them, trying to find more people that want to hear the gospel, want to accept the gospel. And, uh, yeah, I just uh, want to give you an opportunity just to hear the details. You know, I have a short time here. I'll be able to speak, I think, later on in the year, but um, I want to be available while we're here in town, and so we have a table out, and if you want to sign up for our newsletter or even get together sometime for coffee or something like that, um, <clears throat> William Carrier, uh, William Carey, not the air conditioning guy, the missionary guy, uh, <laughs> William Carey said, uh, paraphrasing, uh, we'll go into the deepest pit to bring the gospel to the lost. Uh, but we need you to hold the ropes. Uh, and you guys have been doing that. Journey Church has been supporting us faithfully and generously. Uh, and we want to thank you so much and uh, just invite you in in a deeper relationship and to be able to do that even more so. Uh, thank you. Awesome. That's awesome. We're, we're going to continue to partner with this family and continue to support them. And I encourage you guys to, to pray about that as well. Uh, today we're going to be continuing week three of It Takes a Body, and, and uh, as he mentioned, I'm going to try to get him in here later on in the fall to preach a, a message. I just wanted to touch base here today. Uh, let's pray before we get into the Word. Lord, we thank you so much for your Word, that it is life-changing, it's powerful. Lord, when it gets planted in our heart, we know that you're faithful for it to produce fruit in our lives, and so we welcome that, and we receive that, and we invite that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in week one of this series, I ended the message by asking a question, what is your pain tolerance? 
And, and I, I felt like we needed to revisit that today, that, that last question, what is your pain tolerance? Uh, because I, I know that many times, and, and it, it seems kind of silly in light of, of Jacob just sharing his story and, and what's going on and all the danger and all the, the things that they go through, that, that when you look over at, at our pain tolerance and most of our pain tolerance in church world is simply like, you know, well, I want to be connected to people in the church, but somebody didn't invite me to dinner, you know, and we have such a low pain tolerance. They're like, well, I want, you know, the real life group, that class doesn't look exactly like I want, so I, I, don't, I don't think that's for me. And our pain tolerance is so low that if somebody doesn't text us back or look, as, look at us the right way, then all of a sudden we step back and we get disconnected from the body because we have such a small pain tolerance in life. And so I want to challenge us today uh, to, to, to ask God to increase our pain tolerance, to increase, to, to be challenged in such a way that we would step into more pain in a godly way. And I know that there are many people here doing, dealing with pain of all different kinds, and, and we're going to talk about that today. But I believe that uh, as we... Uh, as we get into this, we're going to find that God wants us to increase our pain tolerance. How many of you guys know that children have a low pain tolerance many times? Children do. How many of you guys have little kids? I mean, if, if my kid gets stung by a wasp or something, it's like you've ripped her arm off, you know? It's like she's just tortured. And yet, as we grow up, I mean, I don't have a problem like swatting a wasp with my hand or something like that, you know? It's like, because why? Because I've grown up and I could take a little bit more. Uh, and I have a, a picture of, of Joseph Heron, who's in our church. Here he is at my house. Look at this picture. I don't know how I snapped this one. And then you got Bob Couch behind going, what in the world? Uh, but here's Joseph at my house swap, swatting out a bunch of wasps, and he's just enjoying it. He's having a good old time. Why? Because when you're a kid, my daughter, she hardly goes through the back door because there's some wasps back there. But we, we end up, you know, we can handle it. Why? Because our pain tolerance has grown, and we, we can take it a little bit more. And so I'm going to, in light of that, look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. And it's up on the screen. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open there. If you have a, a tablet or a phone, you can go to Bible.com and just jump right on. And uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, it starts off and talks about this. It says, until we attain, all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. And the way I read this is basically like Paul's saying, I want you to grow up and be able to take it like a man. I, there, there's a, you know, you can play around and, be, and act like a kid if you want, but there comes a day when you need to grow up and you need to grow into maturity, into mature manhood. That's what he's saying here. And it says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Basically, if you want to be mature in Christ, that's what it's going to look like. You're not going to act like a kid anymore. You're going to grow up. And so he goes on in verse 14, it says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. He's saying this, listen, kids get swayed back and forth by every circumstance and every feeling and every emotion and every whim and every change of doctrine, every opportunity. Kids act that way. But he says, I don't want that for you. I don't want you to be a kid anymore. I don't want you to be a child. He's like, I want you to grow up. In verse 15, he says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Basically, when you're part of the body, you're going to have some growing pains. 
How many of you guys have ever had growing pains? When you were growing up, you could feel pain in your body sometimes, and it wasn't a bad pain. It was actually a good pain. It meant that you were getting taller or getting stronger or whatever. When you have a body, you're going to have growing pains. Even in a family, how many of you guys family? You, in your family, sometimes as your family grows, you can have growing pains. You know, we, we've got five kids. Jacob's got five kids. Uh, but when you have one kid, it's like easy. When you're going into Walmart, like I'll take one hand, you take one hand. We got this, you know? Because kids, if you just let them loose, they'll just start pulling everything off, won't they? It doesn't matter. They just start pulling it off. And then when we had two kids, it's like, okay, we can figure this out. I got one of the kids. You take one of the kids. Uh, we're good, you know, going through Walmart. If you get three kids, we're like, okay, now, now what? We got three. All right, I take one. I'll take two, and you take one. Got it. No problem. Then you have four kids, and I was like, okay, I got two. You got two. We still got this. And then we had five kids. We ran out, right? And all of a sudden, it's like, now we have growing pains, right? And so when you, your family can experience growing pains, right? Do you realize our church right now, practically speaking, is, spirit, is experiencing practical growing pains? You know, we, second service, we almost didn't have any seats in here for second service. Third service here, normally it was, it was a, a low, low service, and now we start to see it starting to fill up. Every, at every turn, we start hitting up against space issues throughout our church because the church is growing. And that's a good thing to experience growing pains. But it's still painful, isn't it? You still have to deal with the pain. And so when you're part of a body, when you're part of a church, you're going to experience growing pains. How many of you guys have ever felt pain or growing pains when you had a new revelation of who God was? And all of a sudden, it just stretched you. And it's painful for you to try to understand a little bit more of who God was. Or maybe some stretching or growing pains when you encountered a new leadership challenge. Maybe at work or in your life or in the church. Maybe you've experienced growing pains in a relationship. It wasn't a bad pain necessarily. It was a good pain that caused you to grow. Maybe growing pains in your marriage. I believe you can even have growing pains in your faith life, in your prayer life. These are all good type of pains, but we still encounter them, okay? So here's what we got to understand. If you're experiencing pain today, which, again, I acknowledge, people are probably experiencing pain at some level here today. Pain is an indicator of growth. It can be an indicator of growth. If you're experiencing pain right now, it may mean that you're growing, and that's a great thing. Let me tell you what else pain can be. If it's not an indicator of growth, pain can also be an opportunity to grow. So maybe you're looking at your life and you're like, okay, pain is, I'm not growing right now, but all of a sudden you look and you're saying, well, where's the opportunity for me to grow? Because pain can be an indicator of growth. It can be an opportunity for you to grow. And so if you want to grow up into all things like Ephesians chapter 4 talks about, then there's going to be some pain along the way. How many of you guys are familiar with this picture right here, this picture? How you guys are familiar with this picture, all right? The pain scale, right? So you got on this one side, no hurt. This guy's smiling. He's cool. He's all right. Then it hurts a little bit. Oh, it hurts a little bit more. He's not smiling anymore. Hurts even more. Hurts a whole lot. Hurts worse. It's the worst pain imaginable, okay? Now, I like this improved pain scale that I found. It might be an itch, number one. Two, I might just need a Band-Aid. Three, it's kind of annoying with some other words in there. Uh, four, this is concerning, but I can still work. Five, bees. Six, bees. Uh, seven, I can't stop crying. Eight, I can't move. It hurts so bad. Nine, mauled by a bear or ninjas. Uh, ten, unconscious. Okay? So put back up the original one. Now, where are you at? Where's your, let me, not your body, but where is your life at on this pain scale? Because I think all of us kind of could assess where our life is at today, and we have varying degrees of pain. 
You may be looking at your life, and right now, maybe there's not really any pain. And, but you, there's been a time where you experienced a lot of pain. And everybody here is somewhere different on that scale this morning. But here's what I want you to understand about this scale. This scale is not a universal scale. In other words, it's not the same for everybody. Let me say it this way. Your worst pain imaginable could be my four. Or my two, it could, you may not feel at all. So every single person has a different pain. Along, and the reason I say that is because God wants us, our pain tolerance, to increase. So that what, what, what used to be our worst pain imaginable, now we can handle it like a two. You guys catching that this morning? God wants us to grow up into all things so that what used to, as a kid, used to be devastating to us when we were childish. Now, that's no big deal. I can handle more pain. And as you handle more pain, then God can use you more in his purpose. Let me give you an example of how this changes over time. When I was a junior higher and I first noticed that there were females on the planet, uh, all of a sudden, things that I used to not be concerned with, all of a sudden I became concerned with, like brushing my teeth, uh, combing my hair, which I don't have so much of a problem now, but uh, I do have to comb my beard. Um, but so I, all these things, and one of the things like putting on deodorant and stuff. So one day in junior high, I forgot to put on deodorant that day. How many of you guys have ever done that before? I mean, you forgot that if you did, if you forgot today, don't raise your hand, please. It's... <laughs> okay, but have you, so I forgot, and that day up to that point, because I was self-conscious about it, probably was one of the worst days of my life. It was like way over here on the pain. It was the worst pain imaginable. I'd rather have bamboo shoots stuck up my fingernails than have to go through that moment. And so now, here today, if I forgot deodorant today, it wouldn't be the worst pain imaginable. It might be more like a two or something like that. Not because I'm not very hygienic, because I am, but because, I mean, I might think, hey, this is a blessing because uh, you stay out of my personal space, you know, or whatever. But it changed over time. So as I grew up, what I thought was devastating before, I can handle because I grew up, you know, and I could handle more pain, Right? Or, or how many of you guys have ever uh, found out, like, after a day or public speaking or getting up in front of people that your fly was unzipped, like, all the time, right? How many of you guys have ever done that before? Uh, hopefully that's not me right now. Um, but I did, uh, a couple months ago, a couple months ago, uh, I was preaching, did first service, second service, third service came. Somewhere in between second and third service, I realized that I had ripped a huge hole in my pants, like, right in the crotch. And I'm like... Service is getting ready to start. I have no time to go buy more jeans. I ha- I, there's nothing available. Uh, you know, I tried to repair it, tried to fix it. it would, I couldn't fix it. And so what do you do? And so the show must go on. And so I preached the best service I could, that third service. And so if you got a little more out of that sermon than you should have that day, I'm sorry. I'm just sorry. But, but it, as I grew up, you know, if it's happened before, it's like it's not the worst pain imaginable. Why? Because my t- pain tolerance increased. Now, because I've grown up a little bit more, uh, my pain tolerance can increase. But even, even with that, so if you're going to grow up into all things, into Christ, you're going to have pain. Even though we grow up a lot of times, it's easy for the pain walls to still come up without us realizing it, right? So uh, we have these pain walls that we put up to try to protect us from more pain. So a few years ago, I was part of a small group, and, and I was trying to Really, you know, as a pastor, I always feel like I have to be on, right? Uh, but how many of you guys know that as a, it, it doesn't just apply to being a pastor? 
We all can sometimes feel like we have to be on, right? You know what I'm saying? Where I have to present myself a certain way. And so I was trying to really, you know, be more real and just, you know, whatever. And so I remember this one time uh, I was in there in the a group setting and I was just laughing I was cutting up I was having a good time and just not really even think I was just having just totally not being on right and I was just laughing and evidently the next day I got an, an email and some people said you know listen there was something very very important that we were trying to share that night and uh and you just seemed like you just didn't care that you just weren't concerned at all and so I was like oh wow I'm so sorry for being so careless I and I apologize and humble I said I'm so I'm so sorry and uh, what that did in me, though, was it put a pain wall up in me that I said, I guess I always have to be on. I can't ever not be on now. And I quickly started to realize that was not the right way to go. And so I began to chip away at that wall. But I share that story. It's a personal story to me, just because I know that people here have pain walls that you've put up without even realizing it. And you've had them up for so long that you don't even really know they're there. They just become a part of who you are. And maybe it's, maybe it's like my story where you feel like you always have to be on and you can never be yourself or whatever it is. But I want to encourage us to start chipping away at those pain walls and to let them come down. You see, how we respond to pain will either lift the lid off our spiritual growth and allow us to grow, or it'll be a limiter of our spiritual growth. How you handle pain will lift the lid off your spiritual growth, or it will be the limiter of your spiritual growth. And so today I want to share some things, just a couple thoughts of what we can do to properly deal with our pain. Because every single person here is experiencing pain in some way, shape, or form, or you will, whether it's relational pain or church pain or marriage pain or whatever it is. How can we deal with our pain? The first thing is this. We have to discern the purpose of our pain. What's the purpose? Why is this pain here? What's caused this pain? And I think a lot of times we skip over this, and I'll share why in just a minute. But there's a guy named Dean Carnezes who's an ultra-marathon runner guy. And he, one time he ran 50 marathons in 50 consecutive days straight. 50 marathons, you heard me right, 50 marathons, 50 days. There was one stretch of time over a three-day period that he ran 350 miles in three days without stopping or sleeping. Crazy. He knows how to push through some pain, in other words, right? That he has to push through some pain. And so he said this. Somebody was asking him and interviewing him, and uh, he said this about our Western culture. And he said this. I'll just read it to you. He said, Western culture has things a little backwards right now. We think that if we had every comfort available to us, we'd be happy. We equate comfort with happiness. And now we're so comfortable that we're miserable. He goes on to say, that there's no struggle in our lives, no sense of adventure. We get in a car, we get in an elevator, it all comes easy. What I've found is that I'm never more alive than when I'm pushing and when I'm in pain and I'm struggling for high achievement. He said, and in that struggle, I think there's a magic. I just, there's something about that that I think we can apply to our spiritual lives. There's so many times we're trying to avoid pain and trying to, it's almost like we think if everything is in place, we won't experience any pain. If, if we don't have any pain, that we're somehow in God's will. It's like if, if everything is in place, that must be God's will because everything is going right. But I don't think if we look at Scripture, I don't think if we put Scripture over that, that's what it would look like. I don't think we'd look, look at it the same way. And I think what happens is any pain in our life, we want to immediately get rid of instead of push into or ask why it's here. And so as soon as we experience pain, we want to push it out of our lives. But we've got to put all things in light of Scripture. We've got to rightly interpret the purpose of the pain. Because there's a good pain and there's a bad pain. 
If I'm, I was happy just to run three miles yesterday, let alone 350, right? But I, there's times when I'm running. And those of you guys who have exercised or ran or whatever, there'll be times I'm running and I'll get a pain. And I have to discern, is this a good pain that I need to push through? Or is this a bad pain that if I keep running, I'm actually going to injure myself, right? And there's a decision. There have been times when I ran through a bad pain and I got injured. And there's times when I know I pushed through a good pain and I got stronger because of it. I got faster because of it. And so we have to discern. We can't just take all pain. All pain is not equal. Pain is simply an indicator of something. And we, many times we receive pain all the same. How many of you guys know that feelings can sometimes be, I mean, they, they can sometimes be off or they can be right on? And many times uh, we take our feelings, we just allow ourselves to feel whatever we want to feel instead of discerning why the feeling is there. You know, uh, sometimes you feel like you have shame in your life, but the Bible says you don't have to feel like you have shame. So just because you have a feeling doesn't mean it's the right type of feeling. Just because, you know, you may feel like God's mad at me. But is that what the message of Scripture is, that God's mad at me? No, just because you have a feeling doesn't mean it's right. You have to take your feeling and put, it, put Scripture, put the lens of Scripture on it to see if it's right. And what I'm saying today is that we have to do the same thing with our pain. And instead of just trying to reject pain, we have to take our pain and say, why is this pain here? What is this pain all about? Is this pain in light of Scripture? You see, if we don't properly deal with pain, it won't go away. It'll keep resurfacing. So, uh, several months ago, I was playing basketball, and as I was playing basketball, I ran into one of the guys. I actually ran into Dylan. I think it was Dylan, and, and we just were like a head-on car crash. I mean, we just right into each other, and right when I ran into to him, uh, my hand was in an awkward position, and it popped. I heard a bunch of popping in my hand, and I knew something was off. It felt like it was broken, and, uh, and later on, it was all swollen and sore and colors and all sorts of things, uh, but I continued playing for another hour, which was the win. Uh, that I kept playing and made some shots. And then, uh, but it w- I didn't go get it checked out. I just thought, this will go away. And so I'd go through the week and it'd get a little bit better. And then it comes Sunday morning and I'd have to shake everybody's hands. And every time I would shake somebody's hand, it would get re-injured, you know? And so then I'd go another week and it'd get better and I'd come Sunday morning. And I'm trying to think, how can I avoid shaking people's hands without looking like a jerk? And so I'm shaking people's hands and, and, and week after week after week, because I never dealt with the pain, it kept coming back. And so as I continued to shake people's hands, and then finally I, st- I started to uh, avoid certain people shaking their hands. How many of you guys know that some people have a stronger grip than other people? And so how many of you guys have ever uh, shook hands with Anthony Peoples? Anybody? You guys know Anthony? Some of you guys? He was here in first service. And every time I would shake his hand, I'd hear bones popping and cracking and breaking. Like Anthony, you know? And so, uh, and so I started to avoid certain people, you know? And the, the, I'm a pastor, you know? And so, uh, but that's, the, that's what we do. We have pain that we don't deal with, and it starts to get better, and then as soon as we encounter people, it re-injures, and it re-injures, and it re-injures. And then pretty soon, what happens? You start avoiding certain people because you know the pain is greater with them. And, and God wants, if we don't deal with our pain, we don't discern why it's there or what to do with it, it will leave us, it will keep coming back. And so I think about the story of Paul and Silas. You guys know the story of Paul and Silas. They were uh, preaching the gospel, and as they were preaching the gospel, there was this girl there who had an evil spirit on her. And this evil spirit allowed her to be able to actually tell people's fortunes, be able to predict the future. And so she kind of had some handlers that were making money off this whole deal. And this girl started following around Paul and, and Silas and saying something that was true, saying, 
these guys are men of God, these guys are good guys. But they were, she was doing this day after day after day. Finally, the Bible says that Paul gets annoyed. He turns around and casts the evil spirit out of her. And all of a sudden, she no longer has this ability anymore. And so the handlers, these guys who were making money off it, they were upset because now they lost their, their moneymaker. And so they decided, you know, that they were going to throw, they whipped up the crowd, they beat Paul and Silas with rods, and they threw them in prison, in the inner prison, with stalks around their feet. These guys are inner prison. Now they're in trouble. They're going to, you know, most likely their sentence is going to be tortured or, or die. And so there they are. And, and, and you're sitting there thinking, man, why is this pain coming upon us? Why is this pain? We're preaching the gospel. Why are we having this pain? And so they had to do something. They had to discern what, what their pain was. How many times do we avoid pain that is God is calling us to have pain because we're obeying God? How many of you guys know that sometimes when you obey God, it's going to be painful. It's just not going to be easy. And, and we think that we take the path of least resistance as far as discerning God's will, don't we, most of the time. It's like, okay, God, uh, I've got these three options for me, and, uh, you know, what, what way am I supposed to go? Uh, well, there's a door that just opened up. It's just so easy. It looks like there's no problems there. That must be your will. And we go through the first door that opens up that looks easy, and we put a stamp on that and say it's God's will. And we take the path of least resistance to determine, determining God's will. There's a, there's a place in Scripture where, where the Bible says that a door, a great door of opportunity opened up to Paul, but there were many adversaries. And so sometimes we, the path that, that is God's will is not an easy path. It might be a painful path. And they had to discern what that was. How many times do we avoid pain because we think that pain is not supposed to be in our life at all? And, and we have to discern it. So I want to give you five questions that we need to ask ourselves to try to help us discern. There, there are more than this, but I thought of these that might help you. To try to help you discern what the pain is, and that will help you discern, discern what to do with it. The first question is this. Is this pain the result of sin in my life? Because many times we cause, we have self-inflicted pain, don't we? How many of you guys have ever, you're like, okay, that one's on me. Yeah, I did that to myself. There's a story in the Bible of Moses. He goes up on the mountain, and uh, he's having this encounter with God. He left his brother-in-law, Aaron, in charge, and Aaron's down there with the people. They've just been led out of Egypt. Everything's going well so far, except for they're getting restless. They, they, uh, Aaron tries to calm them down, and he says, give me all your gold, and he puts it in a fire, and he melts it down, and he makes this golden calf out of it, and he sets up this golden calf, and they all begin to worship it, and about that time is when Moses comes back down the mountain, right? And Moses leaves, and everything things good. When he comes back, all the people are worshiping this golden calf. And so Moses confronts Aaron. He's like, what happened? And I, I think Mo, or Aaron's response is so interesting. He says, well, you left and we thought you were going to die. And pretty soon everybody started giving me all this, this golden stuff. I put it in the fire and this calf came out. That's what he says. He says, and this calf came out. How many times have we created, we're blaming everything else. We're saying, Moses, you might not have been, we didn't think you were coming back. Moses, th these people gave this to me. And we blame everybody else for the sin that we fashioned with our own hands. See, sometimes you're experiencing pain because it's a sin in your life. And if it's sin in your life, you know what to do about that. The second question is this, is this pain the result of obeying God? As I said earlier, there's going to be some pain that we have when we step up. When you're standing up and you're preaching in, in your school and you're the only one who's standing for Christ, that's going to be some pain involved. When you're at work and, and people are, are sharing things they ought not share and you, you're the one guy who, who just steps out of that, you know, there's going to be some pain. Those are so small. Our pain tolerance is so small if that's our highest pain. 
And, and yet, many times obeying God, we even avoid the little things. And so, uh, is this pain the result of obeying God? The Bible talks a lot about taking up our cross. talks about sacrifice and surrender. That you're going to have pain when you obey. Third question is this. Is this pain the result of living in a fallen world? In other words, we're not in heaven yet. And so sometimes things happen around us. And usually what we do with that is we end up blaming God and saying, God, why, did, you know, why is this happening? Sometimes you know, we have pain because we live in a fallen world. Uh, another question is this. Is this pain the result of growing? Like we talked about growing pains. Are you experiencing pain in your life because God is calling you to a higher place? Are you experiencing pain in relationships because you've been living at a shallow level of relationships and now you're being challenged to live at a higher level? Of relationship. Is this a result of growing? And then finally, is this pain from the enemy? Is Satan, because Satan can come and attack you. And if you discern that this pain is from the enemy, then you can take your authority in Christ and get rid of it. So I, the point is, all pain is not equal. And we have to discern what the pain is. And when you properly discern the pain, you can properly deal with the pain. Point number two is this discover the opportunity in your pain. After you discern the purpose, you can now discover the opportunity. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. So there's Paul and Silas. They're preaching the gospel. They get beaten up. They basically have a death sentence, and now they're in a dungeon, in a prison, locked up. And the, we pick up the story. And it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Even after all this, they were praying and singing hymns, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was this great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword, and he's about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice. He said, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? The interesting thing about this story, the jailer, he's getting ready to kill himself. Why would he do that? Because in Roman times, in, in the Roman law was that if you were a jailer and the person you were in charge of escaped, that whatever, the, whatever was supposed to happen to the prisoner now gets to happen to you. So if you got whatever their punishment would have been, now it's your punishment. And so he knew their punishment was probably going to be torture and death. And he'd rather die by his own hands than by the authorities' hands. And so he was getting ready to kill himself. And here comes Paul and Silas saying, no, 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 don't. And so all my growing up, I always thought of this story this way. I always thought that here Paul and Silas was in the pain and the prison and brokenness. And yet they were faithful at midnight to continue to sing songs to God. And they were faithful, and God sent this earthquake to deliver them, to break them free, and, and to, to break them out of jail. That's how I always thought the story was. Until recently, I started to think, that's not what happened at all. That's not what happened at all. Because all of a sudden, when the earthquake came, and their doors were open, and the bonds were loosed, they didn't leave. They didn't leave. If the purpose of the earthquake was to set them free from prison, then they didn't leave. So what's going on here? What, what's the story here within the story? Well, I, I always noticed this key point just recently that they didn't leave until morning. In fact, they volunteered to stay. In fact, if you go and, and read the rest of the story, uh, they waited all the way till morning, and the magistrates started to freak out because of what happened, and they send word to the jailer saying, let them free. And Paul says, I'm not going anywhere. You put us in here publicly, and you want to shoo us out privately? You come down here yourself and let me out. 
And they did. They came down, they apologized to them, and then released them. So what's the deal? They, they, what's the deal with this story? What's going on? I believe that Paul and Silas understood their life was not about getting rid of all pain. See, most of us, if we would have had an earthquake come and set us free, we would have interpreted that as God's miraculous intervention in our pain, and let's get out of here. And Paul and Silas didn't do that. They saw the opportunity in the midst of the pain. They saw God's purpose. They zoomed out, and they saw God's purpose above their pain. The Bible doesn't even uh, indicate that the earthquake was from God. This could have just been a natural occurrence that was going to happen that day anyway. And Paul and Silas took advantage of the opportunity and said, we're going to find the opportunity in the pain. And I believe there are people here today that you may be experiencing pain. And your response to that pain has been, let me get out of this pain as quickly as I can. And I just want to encourage you today, look up, look around. There may be an opportunity in the pain that you've completely missed up to this point. There may be an opportunity that you're, you think God's miraculous intervention is going to come. And, and God is saying, there's an opportunity in the pain. And I start to wonder about my own life. How many times have I misread situations or have I missed opportunities? Because in my own life, I've been trying to avoid pain or get rid of pain instead of manning up and stepping into the pain and saying, you know what? I'm going to increase my pain tolerance today for the glory of God. Number three is this. You have to decide a new response to your pain because I believe God can take your pain and turn it to a purpose. I believe that God can take your pain and turn it into a possibility. You have to decide to have a new response to your pain. And here's the thing. All of us have a default response to pain. There's something that you do automatically without thinking about it that you respond to pain in a certain way. Let me give you an example. If I take this hammer and I have a volunteer come up and I say, place your hand on this table and I'm going to hit your finger as hard as I can with this hammer. Do I have any volunteers, by the way? Um, if I do that, you are going to, without thinking about it, Without, I mean, just automatically, you are going to say, ow, <laughs> or a four-letter word, depending on who you are. You're going to say something without even thinking about it. It's going to be a default response that you have to pain. You're going to say, ow, you're going to say a four-letter word. You're going to do something in response or in reaction to that pain without even thinking about it. Now, this is what I believe we do with pain, other types of pain in our life. We have an automatic default response to pain. So if somebody offends you, Without even thinking about it, automatically, you have a response to that. It's a certain posture towards that person. It's a certain reaction towards that situation. Without even thinking about it, it's built in as a default response to pain. You encounter a situation that's bad, all of a sudden you have a default, without even thinking about it, automatic response. And so we have to decide a new response. And it, it may be developed over time. We maybe have to train or practice, but we have to decide that we're going to have a new response to pain. Because I think if most of us found ourselves in Paul and Silas' situation, our automatic default response would be, God, what happened? I mean, we were doing your will, and now you've left us here. You've abandoned us in this place. And we would have had that default automatic response without even thinking about it. But Paul and Silas zoomed out, saw the purpose, saw the bigger opportunity in the pain. So what if we changed our response to pain? I'm going to wrap up. We're in the Olympic season right now. I'm going to wrap up with, how many of you guys remember Sean Johnson, 2008? Uh, she was a gymnast, uh, and she's going to share, it's about seven minutes long, but she's going to share her story. Let's watch. I can remember every detail about Beijing. The smell, the lights, the crowd. I remember Nasty Lupin go up and 
compete and give a beautiful routine. And I remember looking at her score and it was a, it was one point higher than the highest score I had conjured up in my mind that it was impossible for me to get a gold medal. I remember my heart just sinking. The entire world is being told. Do I even go out and compete? Do I just throw it? I remember thinking, well, if, if you can't win the gold medal, at least prove to the world that you deserved it. And starting my routine and giving the best routine of my entire life. I'd never felt lighter in my life. I felt like I was on top of the world. I remember seeing 50,000 people on their feet giving me a standing ovation. I told everybody it was the biggest honor of my life, but really kind of crushed my heart. I remember being given the silver medal on the podium. The person who did it gave me a hug and told me, he said, I'm sorry. And I remember that being really strange for me because it's kind of like I was being given a silver medal at the Olympic Games and being told I'm sorry. So it was kind of like a validation in my heart that I had failed. I got two more silver after that, then finally got a gold. But it was like once I got the gold, I, it didn't matter. But like, I felt like the damage was done. I would go to school every day and every single person would be asking about gymnastics or watching me on TV or reading an interview. I, every news article in the entire world said that I was gonna come home with four Olympic gold medals and I'd given 200% that day in competition and laid it out on the floor, but I felt like I had failed the world. I felt like since the world saw me as nothing else, then if I failed at being a gymnast, I failed at being a human being. I was 16 years old, living in a fishbowl. You know, every single person and their mother was applauding and congratulating me and also critiquing me because I was on a world stage. It was now about what I wore and how I looked. I was growing up in the limelight. I was 16 years old and you know, a, a muscular gymnast, and I was not even four or eight. And I was dancing next to girls who were, you know, supermodels. And I remember at, at 16, 17, from Dancing with the Stars, reading all of these blogs and reading newspaper articles and seeing headlines of people criticize my weight and my appearance and, you know, my personality and my character. and. It affected me immensely. It drove me to, to try to change everything about myself. Trying to act like someone you aren't and trying to look like someone you will never be um, is exhausting and draining. And, you know, feeling like the world doesn't accept you for who you are, kind of, it, it hurts your heart. I feel like when all of that kind of compiled into to one big moment and it was this 2012 comeback and I had all these sponsors and I think around six months before the actual Olympic trials I was hitting probably my all-time low I was spending probably over 40 hours a week training I was constantly trying to lose weight but it wasn't happening my parents wanted me to go see a psychologist or go see a doctor because 
they thought I was like clinically depressed. Um, I, I remember I was like losing hair. I wasn't able to sleep. I wasn't eating properly. I was struggling with, I wasn't 16 any longer. And so for months, I just, I just pushed myself in practice. And I said, you know, it's, if this is what will make the sponsors happy and my parents happy and my coach happy and the team and the USA national team happy. And if this is what is right for everybody, then this is what's right for me. I can just push through it. And, you know, day after day, come home from practice, just bawling and bawling and not having any outlet of peace. I remember walking into practice one day, uh, getting up on the beam and like standing at the edge of the beam, looking down, getting ready to start flipping. And it's one of those moments that's really hard to explain and really hard for, I feel like a lot of people to understand. But in that one moment, I felt like God was telling me, you know, you've, you've been so distraught over this decision and been putting yourself through all of this and your family through all of this. And you've been afraid of disappointing a lot of people and, you know, not been yourself, but it's okay to, to follow your heart and to, to put it behind you. In that instant, I felt the entire world was like be lifted off my shoulders. And it was like in that one instant, I knew it was all gonna be okay. I was, I was giving my heart and soul and getting to a place that I was not proud of, all for that gold medal again, that I distinctly remember in 2008 not being the greatest thing in the world. And I think it's just kind of that validation that there's always more. God is the answer to everything. And Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross so that when I stood up there and I was given that gold medal, yes, it's a monumental and amazing experience and wonderful thing, but it's not the end all be all. Yes, I can work my whole life to become the CEO of a company or to make a certain amount of money or to win 12 more Olympic gold medals, but it's not the purpose in life. And he will always be my greatest reward and my proudest reward. My name is Sean Johnson and I am second. I just thought that was a powerful video of showing somebody who's gone through immense pain and then finally giving it to God. And so as we close up today, I just want to pray for you that maybe you're in a situation where you're experiencing, it can be all over the board what your pain is. No matter what it is, God can take your pain, turn it into a purpose. we got to give it to him first. Would you guys stand with me as we pray? Lord, I pray for everybody in this room right now, whatever level, whatever pain they're experiencing. Lord, I pray. We, we, first, we thank you knowing that we can trust you with our pain and that you can take our pain. You don't cause all pain, but you can take our pain and turn it into a purpose. And so, Lord, I pray that somebody today has got a revelation, a little bit more revelation of what their pain's about, maybe a little bit more uh, able, ability to see an opportunity in the pain right now and to be able to give it to you for your glory. Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's work it more. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.